Welcome to Fret Buzz, the podcast. My name is Joe McMurray. And I am Aaron Sefchik. And today we have with us Carter Gravitt. He's the lead guitarist for Carbon Leaf, a national touring rock band. And we're excited to have you. Good morning, Carter. Good morning, guys. Yeah. yeah, so where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from my garage. <laughs> Carter's garage. It's a, for those of you who can't see, it's a nicer than average garage. It's finished. <laughs> and it's got stacks of amps and guitars behind him. Awesome. The hiding place for all my good stuff. You're in Virginia though, right? Yep, uh, right outside of Richmond, other than uh, like one of the surrounding counties. So. That's kind of the headquarters of of Carbon Leaf, right? Absolutely. Um, I would say the headquarters is probably Terry's house. Um, okay. Guitar player, because we built, um, I think it was when we did the Curious George soundtrack, mm. uh, we built out his studio so that we could track pretty much anything we needed uh, to do in there. He was the A engineer at uh, one of the big studios in town uh, before he just got, to, it got touring got to the point where he just couldn't, you know, had to call in too too often and they had to had to replace him but so he's probably engineered or co-engineered uh every every release we've ever had i think oh wow how many albums have you guys released i was just like wow i wonder how many that is it's a lot somewhere in the teens i think or something like that barry was saying you guys were trying to put out an album every eight months or so yeah well that's kind of our motto is uh unattainable goals on an unrealistic time frame okay. and you good about about doing that um but yeah uh it'd be it'd be really nice to um unfortunately you know you just run into there's so much stuff going on especially this day and age you know just keeping up with uh your head above water with all of the uh social media stuff that needs to be maintained and Mm. you know there's so much stuff going on now it's just it's just incredible um but yeah it would be it would be great if we could make that and it's nice to have a goal like that that you know, keeps you, keeps you rolling uh, creatively as well as, you know, you've got the touring going on and, and everything else. But I guess uh, the gathering EP came out and that's, if I understand correctly, supposed to be one, I think one of four uh, for that particular project, which I was, I would assume would be thematically tied in or if not uh, musically as well. And then we also want to do, um, you know, some rock a rock record and stuff like that. But then you get into the what's an album these days? Nobody puts out more than like five songs at a time. Yeah, yeah. It's coming true. from coming from old school where you you know you come up with a block of songs that make sense together and you think you're telling like a cohesive thing. Now it's gotten run down to like a couple of songs. You put out more than that, and it's just kind of wasting them. Uh, but yeah, we're je- definitely trying to maintain a a pretty nimble release schedule and being independent we can we can do that you know you don't have to wait for anybody except yourself independent from a record label yeah 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 um we did three albums on vanguard and i guess they wanted uh it was about 2009 ish i think uh that we went back to straight independent and now you can kind of build your own label kind of a la carte as you need it as opposed to um you know, being on a label where you're part of that huge support structure at any given time, but it's like turning a battleship, you know, when you want to do something. Um, you know, now if you need something, you can hire out for the duration of how long you would need that person to work for you. Um, like yeah. like promotional people or marketing specialists? Oh, if you wanted to push us onto radio, you'd hire a promoter that would run it for a certain cycle and then then be gone or, you know, extra promotions to people if you're putting an album out, um, just about anything, you know, as the, the big systems have dissolved, there are tons of, tons of great people out there that you can work with um, to kind of have their own thing going. Huh. So yeah. is, you get a promoter, they just have special ins with the radio stations and they just spend yep. X hours a day sending your album to everybody? Something along those lines, yeah. And it's people that used to work for labels, and now they've started their own thing. Uh, and uh, you know, they have the relationships with people. And if they take on your album, I guess uh, the people that they know, well, because they've taken it on and they've worked with them in the past, will you know give it a listen or give it a chance just because. But I, I don't know that there are a ton of guarantees 
in any of that, you know. Uh, but again, that's not, I don't, I'm not as tapped in to that as say uh, Barry and Terry are who really have their finger on the pulse of everything that's kind of going on. Um, well, well, for those of you who haven't, who didn't notice, we, uh, we actually had a two-part interview with Barry. Um, you can check it out in our episodes archive. Mm-hmm. Um, had a great conversation with him. And Carter, you probably don't know this, but we actually interviewed Steve Black, an FM radio host oh. out of Detroit. I don't know if you know him, but no, he, he, it was a really cool interview because we he's done like 1,500 interviews. Isn't that right, Aaron? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like he's interviewed like tons and tons of big name bands from the 80s, late 80s through today. He's partied with Guns N' Roses and all kinds of cool stories. But he had a lot of interesting insights into the world of FM radio. I'm sure. Currently and how it's changed over the years. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, golly. And yeah, to have been in the, in the trenches over, you know, the last 20 years would be, you know, I can't imagine there was a time where there was more change going on. It's <laughs> like from the late 90s till now. Yeah. Yeah, now it's internet radio and Sirius XM and so many things. Yeah. Apple Music and Amazon Music. There's so many different platforms. Yeah. Oh, so true. Well, with all the time spent on all of this these other other aspects of the band, how do you find time to practice and like I I talked about this earlier, well before the show, but I, for those of you who don't know Carbon Leaf or haven't seen them, I, I got to see them at St. Patrick's Day weekend in Virginia Beach at Elevation 27. And I had never seen them before. I had listened to their music before. But on Carter's side of the stage, there were at least 10 to maybe there were 12 or 13 instruments. And there were multiple guitars, but there, were, there was a mandolin, there was a cello, a fiddle. Uh, an old like parlor acoustic guitar, you know, Les Pauls and Strats and kind of everything in between. So, the old- oh, banjo, yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, stuff that's kind of come in over the years. Um, I guess we kind of kind of got it. Probably started. We got a little bored writing with two guitars, kind of quick. Um, you know, by the second album, it was like, all right, well, you know, there's two guitars. Hmm. Mm-hmm. what else and that, that I think that what else is what ended up burning me in the end but um, yeah so uh, I was a big fan of R.E.M. and uh, you know obviously Peter Buck uh, was playing mandolin on like Green and uh, Out of Time and then uh, John Paul Jones for the Zeppelin stuff and then growing up in the country you know there's you know a lot of you'd hear I heard a lot of bluegrass but kind of you know it wasn't right in my face but kind of in the background of um so i was like you know i'm gonna get i'm gonna get a mandolin so i I ordered a mandolin and it came in a box and the bridge was uh was laying down on it when it showed up so open this box and the strings are just hanging loose and the bridge is laying on the top i was like well huh oops is it broken you know (laughs) you know but finally figured out how to how to set that up and uh i think that day i wrote uh, the song we have called Ordinary Eyes that was on our third album. But yeah, so I just started picking up um, instruments and that one I just kind of beat on for a while um, until uh, Barry was tinkering around with the banjo for a little bit. And he, we had this really cool record store called Plan 9 up the road from where we lived. And he would he got this record and he, he came over to me and was like, hey, you know, I got this record. It, I'm not that into it, but I think you need to hear it. And it was uh, Edgar Meyer, uh, Mike Marshall, and Bela Fleck. Uh, it was a record called The Unknown Ritual. Mm-hmm. That record like rearranged everything. <laughs> it was like somebody pulled up the parking brake and, uh, you know, all, all sorts of stuff that you thought were like where the ceiling was, you know, with, uh, with some types of music and with, with mandolin and stuff. That was just all completely ripped off. And that that was the beginning for me of uh, like practice and listening and like getting into 
like going, okay, you know, this isn't, it's, it's not what I thought, you know, there's, there's a whole nother world out there and there it's, everything's got, you know, there's no, no limit to the possibilities. So I, I was playing, uh, I play guitar with kind of a pick and my fingers. I'll leave my hand kind of open for chicken picking stuff. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really work that well on the mandolin or at least it didn't for me. Cause you end up with all this extra weight swinging around when you've got a really tiny space. So I taught myself to play mandolin with a closed hand, um, which was like, you know, it's like a year. It's like throwing everything into first back into first gear. You're like, okay. But, um, so yeah, after that and kind of, you know, that just kind of blew my world open. And the Bela Fleck Edgar Meyer album. Yeah. I think uh, Bela Fleck does that to everybody. Uh, Mike yeah. <laughs> and Mike Marshall was on that. And up until then, like the Lynn ended for me with, uh, I think I had one Bela, like Fleck tones record. It was live art and Sam Bush is on there. And I was like, okay, well, this has got to be the pinnacle. You know, that's Sam Bush. You know, I know Sam Bush. He's got to be, you know, there's the ceiling. And then, um, and he, Sam is amazing. But then I heard Mike Marshall and he was playing a lot, a lot cleaner and a lot more technical. And that just really, you know, I didn't realize how, how beautiful the mandolin could be, you know, as it's, as its own thing. And so that really sent me down a rabbit hole. But then, you know, I picked up a banjo. I got into old time uh music like old time appalachian music as opposed to bluegrass which is very different and like any genre of music you know you will you get into it and they're going to be the purists they're going to take your head off you know when you get anything wrong but <laughs> i got into uh you know a little claw hammer banjo then into a more of a i can do some of the scrug stuff or the you know the Bela stuff um got into steel picked up a fiddle which was i put that off forever because it is the worst because you know how bad you are. You have to stick <sighs> right next to your ear and it's loud as hell and terrible. And your intonation is oh, it's far true. more difficult without frets. <laughs> the worst. I think I picked that in the steel, uh, pedal steel up at the same time. Just was, And it was just an out of tune nightmare. How, um, so how do you, that's what I want to know. Cause like I, I try to do this too. And I, I teach piano and I've, I teach various instruments and there's just so much time in the day and to really get pretty much any instrument is a full undertaking that, you know, if I was teaching my students, I would say you should be practicing at a minimum 15 to 30 minutes a day if you really want to get better. So, you know, you got to apply that to yourself too. And were you actually spending that much time each day on each of these instruments? Um, They were, they came you know, it was kind of over over the years that I would, you know, pick pick each one up. Um, but you know, there's certainly time. If you know, especially uh, now, you know, I've got kids and we've got the band, and uh, you know, the guys really don't like to hear me noodling around. Uh, you know, if we were like on the bus or something like that, that was like shut down quickly. They're like, you're gonna, uh, no, no. But um, yeah. oh, man, if I could, God, I could, I would play like all day on the bus. I would yeah. just sit and I would, and I'd love every second of it. Right? Um, Can you get like a, you know, run it into headphones? Yeah, but there's still that, you know, that tick, 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 you know, kind of stuff going on with, you know, even with electric guitar, you know, you can. Yeah. You can yeah. Oh um, man, there's got to be a compromise where you can like turn on the fan or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like leave on the fan at battery. white noise like a white noise cd um but no so you just you know you find your times and uh you know there are times when you'll be able to practice ferociously you know especially if there's if like i find something that i want to learn if it's a piece of music or if i get to the point that i'm like i see something that i really want to be capable of or hear something um something inspires me to really dig in then it's you know it's pretty much on at that point any spare second i have i'm gonna be you know digging away at that um i love that feeling <clears throat> oh it's the best there's nothing better than than having you know seeing it something that you want to attain and you know just getting after it um, it's like a full-blown obsession oh, that overcomes I've- you and you like I'm like watching YouTube videos and listening everywhere I go and like carrying around my mini speaker around the house listening. And then I like, I got to try it. And I 
sit down for a couple hours. Well, that was what and, I was going to say is, is that, so you're, you're, this is all self-taught. Yeah. Right. And this is, I would imagine before YouTube. So you didn't have <laughs> the internet to just kind of go to quickly learn how to do banjo or fiddle or anything like that. It's just a matter of sitting there with the instrument for hours upon end and actually figuring it out for yourself. Yeah, it is. It is unbelievable how, how much information is at people's fingertips these days. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing. God, anything you want to learn, it's right, literally right at your fingertips. It's, which is mind blowing for me because I was swinging in the dark. Right. And, and, uh, we moved to Richmond um, and uh, you know, I didn't have any infrastructure of friends or know anybody here really. So it was just basically the band. And then, you know, so I was kind of, I'd go to the record store and just buy records, you know, and you know, which is incredibly foolish, foolhardy, you know, financially, but you know, for every 10 records or so I'd get, I'd find something that I was like, okay, no, I'm going to, you know, I dig this. So, and it would, take me into take me somewhere and then out of every 20 you'd find find a real gem you know yeah. you're like okay all right but um yeah so it was it was a lot of just kind of hammering away at stuff listening to records and um i was never really good at uh probably uh, probably like massive undiagnosed add but i've never been able to sit down and transcribe people's solos or anything like that. I've, I've never been in a situation where I had to, but just never, uh, never got into that sort of thing. So what I, I would just listen uh, and try to hear like how they were playing and kind of the overall arc of, you know, what was going on mm. and, um, you know, listening to like the way people would attack instruments, especially uh, the mandolin stuff and, you know, the banjo and, yeah, it was just a lot of, you know, and getting, you could get books, you know, you could find, find random books or, um, you know, I've got a, I've got a rack of book, books and I've, you know, opened like four pages. You're like, like the, uh, good Rick, the advancing guitarist. Did you guys have that one? No. Oh my God. It's one of those things you get in like three pages. You're like, all right. Yep. That's too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, it's like soloing on one string over like giant steps, you know, and you can all you can go like a half step up or a full step down or just yeah. drawing, you know, like, oh, okay, no, that's what I've I got this book, this Joe Pass guitar style, yeah, 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 and it's just it's so heavy. I'll pick out like I'll pick out one lesson and work on it for a couple of weeks, and that's like it's just not the kind of book you can work through very quickly and retain, at least for me, it's slow going. It's like, you know, a concept. You read one page of Mind's Blown, you read it again, and you're like, okay, I think I see where he's coming from. And yeah, yeah. You work on that for the rest of your life. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So, so long, long story short, yeah. I, there was no YouTube. There was, there was just kind of figuring it out. Um, There's some instructional videos that were pretty good. Oh, yeah. Um, the Paul Gilbert stuff came out in the 90s. And that was, yeah, I don't, I know that name, but I'm not sure who that is. Yeah. You don't know Paul? Mm -mm. Oh, there were the hot licks videos which yeah. got absorbed yeah. into something else now yeah um and there's this uh the homespun stuff which i think is online now and they had some cool stuff um but yeah i remember i got the brian setzer video because i always loved uh his playing and i don't think i learned a single thing but it was just it was fun to watch people play you know? yeah and you could listen to them like the openings and when they were when they would play stuff and that's as close as i would get to you know going to a concert and seeing these guys was those little it's like you know buying the video for like the little youtube clips of you know watching him open up or play like rock this town or something yeah um, no i remember buying vhs ta tapes when you were young and you know watching them over and over and over again because that was the only thing that you had available to you <laughs> yeah and where, yeah absolutely it was uh it was the only way you could get in get a hold of any of that stuff or see like a lot of these people that i would never ever have a chance to see i remember uh danny gatton pe uh, passed away before i was able to see him 
and uh, I have his his old tape. And you know, you can't take anything. I couldn't take anything away from that uh, the video. But watching him play was just so neat. Yeah. You know, his like just his approach to the guitar. He just knew it so well. There wasn't, you know, I think it's to the point it's hard to listen to because like he's harmonizing with himself when he's playing solos just because he's bored. You know, it's like he's taking everything into like solos into he's playing so his solos is like triads and all the way up you're just like what the hell is happening <laughs> but uh i've seen know, some of that video he's he's crazy good that's so so good and he's like and he, he'll play with like tom um pop uh, i can't remember it oh, but i've seen him or is it yes yeah, so i know i think i know what you're talking the about italian name but danny gatton he's he's not got the formal training but he just like put him right next to like a, a real jazz player and he just he outplays him he's he, internalized like the music and he can hear you know hear all the voicings and hear exactly what's going on yeah he's lightning fast oh my god can play straight ahead jazz can mix he's kind of like the bale of fleck of the guitar he yeah. takes he's mixing styles that you wouldn't normally hear it is yeah it was that was just terrible you know that we lost him uh, I guess I was about 95, 94, 95, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, such a bummer. But yeah, now we're, we're, oh yeah, so practice. Yeah. So I'll, man, whenever I can, you know, I'll, especially these days with kids, you know, if I get a, a spare minute, I'll just go out and tinker with something. But um, also when you build up, you know, when you're taking that many instruments on the road, you're doing a lot of repair work and mm -hmm. maintenance stuff. Uh too so that's kind of one of the big yeah i think when we we chatted that uh the other day we were i was talking about it. it's like so there's the creative time when you're writing there's mm -hmm. you can work on like pushing technique on all of the instruments down the field you know if just a little bit further and then there's uh like teching all the gear you know fixing stuff making sure things are working you're trying out something new you know, a new, especially with all the acoustic instruments, you know, a new way to make them sound slightly more palatable. Cause I mean, let's be honest, you plug in an acoustic instrument, it just sounds like poop. Um, and then it does, what do you do for your acoustics to make them, make them sound better? You're especially the guitar. It's tough, man. Um, cause I have to run the way I run all that stuff. So I've probably got like 10 different acoustic instruments at a show or so maybe maybe a little bit more depending on what we're doing um but i've also got to be relatively streamlined as far as my uh my inputs uh go and how i'm getting transferring that to you know our front of house engineer so i actually have to run or i'm currently running in order to make it because i mean my my four floor footprint is massive um but uh I run it through one preamp, which is kind of nuts when you really think about it. You know, you want to, it's easy to come up with a, with a signal chain for any one instrument and make it sound pretty good, but coming up with a, a signal chain for, you know, all these different instruments, all these different types of pickups and have it kind of work together is a little challenging. Um, so what does that look like? Uh, hell on earth really They're yeah like, yeah i imagine so like blew up like a computer factory and then put it on the ground <laughs> um, i can show you well all right so i've got it behind me but i guess it's just, yeah 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 we'll explain uh, it explain it while you show us and people can get on youtube if they want to see let's see how well i can turn you guys oh lord tangled up in cables not tangled up in blue is the song suggested mm -hmm. um so let's see. So you can see it. That's my my acoustic board down there. Oh yeah. Um. So there's a lot of switching uh, that goes on there. So it'll go from a. Uh, gosh, let's see. How can I explain this? Um. So all, first thing is you got to get. I got to get into it. So I'll run a wireless line, two different wireless lines. Once for the fiddles, once for everything else, and then the third line would be for the hurdy gurdy. Um. And then uh, they'll all run into a Grace Felix preamp. Okay. Um, and in the effects loop of that, I've got a uh, Origin Effects Cali 76 compressor. It's um, a really amazing sounding compressor, but they're huge. Um, 
But if we go through much more of my gear, you'll understand that like huge pedals are kind of my thing. Um, uh, but they turn off a lot of people because they're just enormous, but they right. sound great. Um, so I've got that, the LR Bags Reverb, which I think is spectacular. Um, then I've got, uh, which is currently in the shop, uh, an API uh, Transformer. It's their kind of guitar pedal, um, but it has their uh, their little preamp section, uh, uh, like an EQ section. And uh, Is that the new one that they came out with? Which is also enormous. Yeah, I, I, I saw that probably last year and yeah. was, was like, whoa, that's, I'd love to get my hands on one of those. <laughs> that's cool you have one. On electric. Um, I, I've plugged uh, for sessions and stuff, plugged straight in uh, a mandolin straight into like an API lunchbox and be like, oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. You bring a lunchbox on tour and you're like, that'll last about five minutes. <laughs> but then, so from that, I go into uh, a full tone tape echo. And then run out to a bunch of splitters. And the splitters, um, I run it, I use a bunch of the gig rig stuff. I don't know if you guys have checked that out. I love their stuff. They've got uh, a line splitter called the Humdinger, which is awesome. Uh, so I'll hit that. And then one of those lines goes to uh, one of their little, uh, I guess it's uh, uh, one of those little uh, strips where they, you can have. Uh, like your own little effects loops, you can put, uh, you know, put things in and out, but I'm using it as uh, a send thing. So all the sends are just, I'm just kind of using it out. So it's like having a one to four uh, out thing. So the four outputs of that go to uh, Neve DIs that are on the back line and that'll split up uh, all the different things. So you hit the humdinger, one of those goes there and that sends the main signal to the main DI, then there's an effects that goes out of the other side of the humdinger, which gets uh, octave effects for, and potentially a looper for the acoustic instruments. Mm. So uh, the cello and the fiddles, and sometimes for uh, acoustic guitar, I'll use uh, a couple of different octave things to kind of fill out. Because I mean, most of the time when somebody picks up a fiddle in a rock band and you were playing like this grand, glorious electric guitar stuff that fills up the room, you go to fiddle and you've got this screechy, horrible thing. So if you add a little bit of girth from, uh, I use, for the fiddle, I use a, um, the hog, the EHX, the big thing, yet another pedal. Um, and for the uh, acoustic, uh, I use the TC uh, poly something or another. It's, it's their little octave things, one of the kind of smaller guys. You're, you're hitting it an octave below I'm, to fill the, it out fiddle gets an octave and a, a, another octave a second octave below because so, any any octave pedal in my opinion that goes up it's just too bright uh the you know it's just like puts this sizzly high end hmm. on everything you send so the uh acoustic one that goes to the cello and stuff just gets one octave lower and the fiddle gets two hmm. um, and then so our engineer gets both of those lines so he can kind of blend them depending on, you know, how the PA, you know, some are sub heavy, so you can't put too much in there. Otherwise, you know, people poop their pants. Um, the brown note. Uh, but um, So you guys run with your own engineer to yeah, venue to venue? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We've toured with our own engineer forever. Okay. Um, that was one of the first things we learned, especially, you know, with all the instrument switching that I'm doing, sometimes playing two or three things a song, uh, all five of us sing, um, you know, there's so much stuff happening. If you're, you know, a house engineer and we show up, you're just going to be like, what in the hell just happened? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, especially EQ and in all the, you know, all the different acoustic instruments and having them kind of work and sound somewhat palatable and, uh, you know, having things where they need to be in the mix with all the songs. And there's also pretty little air in our sets. Um, mm. Song to song, it's like right, each one is like right on top of the other. So there's no, there's really, once we get started, it's, there's no real break. Right, and no no banter or anything like that? Not really, not really. Unless uh, Barry's feeling particularly chatty. <laughs> <laughs> He's fairly chatty at St. Patrick's Day. Was he? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every show is a little bit different, but normally there's no real 
unless something, you know, I don't know, every now and then uh, he'll get, get off on a tangent, but it's normally pretty, pretty quick. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we have, we have our own guy, which is, okay. which is awesome. Yeah, very much so. Very much like the sixth member, sixth member of your of your absolutely, group. absolutely. And uh, you know, he's also handling you know a bunch of stuff. Uh, he helps me uh, with my gear before the show, just checking everything to make sure everything looks right because they don't they don't like for me to come out uh, before the show because I would love if I had my you know my choice, I'd be out there, you know, checking everything, make sure all the settings are right because you know if you have like an opener you know, cables will inevitably get dragged across your stuff. Right. And, you know, when you've got a, like a field of dreams, like I do down there, it's like, all right, everything looks all right. But then you step on one thing. It's just like blows off the stage. Well, so I guess they hit that one tonight. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's just incredible. Awesome. And uh, how, how long has he been with you? He's uh, our current guy has been with us for about six years, I think. Okay. Uh, I think no matter what, I'll probably get it wrong and he'll be insulted. But uh, yeah, he is, he is spectacular. And we also record all the shows and sell them after. So he's handling, uh, you know, indexing and all that stuff right after the show. He's on that and then uh, bumping them down to these little thumb drives uh, among a million other responsibilities that he has. Awesome. But yeah, uh, the short, short version of my uh, acoustic signal path, which is pretty convoluted. Yeah, we've we've had on we had on Dustin Furlow, who's a, a fingerstyle guitarist. Yeah, and um, we like I I have I have my Taylor here. It's just got the under saddle mm-hmm. built in the Piazzo pickup, and it you know it just doesn't sound that good. And so he was, I mean, he's saying a lot of the guys use solo fingerstyle guitarists use these nice microphone inputs that are, or you blend the piezo and the, and the microphone pickups. EPA makes a really great mic. Um, there are a lot of EPA. EPA. uh, Okay. Great mics that a lot of people use. Um, I can't do that, uh, just because our stage is a little bit too loud. Uh, but with a full drum kit and, you know, John's rocking, you know, an eight by 10, it's, you know, it's too loud and it's too much ambient noise. And I'm a really quiet player. Uh, so that makes it even worse, obviously. You have to turn um, up even more. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you basically turn, it turn me up. You're turning up the snare drum. Right. Um, so, yeah, I wish, I wish that there were more options like that for me. Um, but trying to, trying to do this stuff in like a full rock band is, makes it a little more, a little more tricky. Um, for acoustics, uh, I use the... Uh, uh, LR bags M80 pickup, the sound hole pickup, uh, and the, the M1. I think it's the M80. There's the M1 active, and then the one that's got the little brown strip in the middle. I think it's the M80, and okay. uh, that's what I use for all of my acoustics. And one thing I like is uh, when we're not touring or if we're doing uh, a radio show or anything, I can just unscrew it and pop the pickup out. Uh, and it's just you know the one little cable which I have taped right inside the sound hole and I just you know I'll just pop it out real quick and uh, you know then you've got you know your normal guitar um, but yeah that's I've been using those since they came out and I was using the M1 since I think I might have gotten a, one of the early ones right even before it hit the street um, but yeah I, I, I dig those and I like getting the, uh, the attack away from the bridge Mm-hmm. unless you're like i think if you're going to use any of the uh the current modeling stuff that they have um it's probably best to have that uh under the saddle thing you know like the tone dexter or any of those things that are doing imaging um it's probably advantageous to use a different style pickup but if you're just using a, a, a you know a regular preamp and a pickup i've been as happy as i've been with anything uh, with these guys, um, and it sounds a little, a little more palatable getting getting that attack, you know, out of like right there where all that tension is, and it's a little less rubber bandy. Well, so we've talked about all these acoustic instruments, but I mean, you are a phenomenal lead guitar player. Okay. So can we jump over to to, sure. to the electric stuff? The yeah. other day, you were showing me your your different yeah. amps and your 
you were playing on the Stratocaster and um, showing me some stuff. So you, it looked like you had several half stacks and different amp models. I've got. Well, let me, I'm trying to figure out a way that I can. Let's see. How can I do this? And, you know, um, try to find a extension cable so that I can move about more freely. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who are listening on the podcast, we. Um, definitely jump over to Fret Buzz the podcast on our on our YouTube channel. We, you can see all the cool things that he's got. All right. Let me see. Let me... Okay. Yeah, I'm dropping stuff already. All right, you guys. Right, can you hear? Me? We can. Oh, sweet. All right. Uh, all right. Let's see. Oh, that's gonna fall over. All right, so let's see. Uh, spin you guys around and yeah, see if the thing does. Oh, that didn't work at all. Yeah, I'm not even going to do that. <laughs> all right, so here we are in amp land. Uh, I'll start over here. That's my favorite rig to take out. That's uh, an old 7200 watt Marshall Super mm -hmm. Trim. Uh, my favorite Bluto and an old 64 basement cab I bought from Lindy Fralin. Um, couple of fun amps that Bill Callahan built that are awesome. My 412, which is very heavy. The current uh, touring rig, which is what I've been using for most of the last couple of years. Uh, that's an old 64 twin and uh, Bluto number two. Then there's some fun stuff. Old 66 Super Holland uh 64 princeton 65 deluxe 64 baseman a swart matchless and then another so all sorts of fun stuff that's beautiful um, Sal yeah. salivating yeah. over here yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, i mean when you've been playing when you've been playing this long it, it doesn't seem like it just kind of comes you know an amp every year or so and next thing you know you have a garage full um <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, the Super I just got last year, it was from, uh, I guess, an estate sale, and a buddy had it, and he was like, man, do you want a Super? I was like, absolutely not. And he was like, well, I'll give it to you for this. I said, well, I guess I'll have a Super then. <laughs> uh, I guess, all right, now I have a Super Reverb. Um, but yeah, so um, I've been, I was using the bigger rig uh, for ever, and uh, I guess for whatever reason, I decided to switch down uh, to the twin, um, everybody used to tell me, they were like, oh, you don't want a twin, you don't want a twin. It's like, are you sure? They're like, no, you want a deluxe, you want this or that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I do love deluxe reverbs, they're great. And I finally got a twin, I was like, this is what I wanted that whole time. Man, I never should have listened to you guys. Why but do you like I, the twin better? I love the twin. What? Um, why would you rather have that over the deluxe? Um, Just the oomph. Uh, it's just got a lot of, I don't know, it's just... A little more sturdy sounding uh the deluxe i feel like sometimes uh, yeah i remember we gosh i think we were playing with like the goo goo dolls or something and i had this little petite rig that i was like oh it's you know it's oh, so light so cute and i got in there and i couldn't tell if my amps were broken because i couldn't <laughs> hear them work from the front of the stage i was like man are they amps are they even on like, right, did, they, did they die and i was like all right so deluxe might be a little bit small but um, you were they're miking your amp anyway, right? Yeah, but I wasn't using uh, wasn't using ears, and uh, at the time wasn't you know putting guitar in the monitor has never been something that sounded quite right to me because then you've got a whole different speaker configuration giving you what's coming out of your amp, and you're like, but what's coming out of my amp is what it's supposed to sound like, right? Um, my my amp doesn't have a horn, you know. <laughs> you're yeah. like, Sweet Jesus. Uh, but yeah, I switched to the Twin a couple of years ago, and um, I've got these two Bluto Tone heads that I just adore. And uh, so the big one is 150 watts, and um, I got, uh, and Brandon made me, he came out with a smaller version of that head, and I got one of those, and it's only 100 watts, you know, very small, um, with, you know, EL34s, so it's a little bit more martially. So I took the twin and I took out the speakers that were in it, which were the originals. And I put in EB12Ls, uh, which are, if you don't know anything or don't know, those are about the heaviest guitar speakers on the planet. Uh, so I took the heaviest combo amp in the world and made it 
like twice as heavy. Um, so when I, we took it out on the first run and the figures were so heavy that they, they ripped the baffle out. So the whole thing, <laughs> it was hysterical. I turned around and the figures are pointing up at the ceiling. <laughs> it was amazing. I was like, well, that's, that's probably not good. <laughs> but the guys down at Mojo, uh, I sent them the, uh, the baffle that was, you know, looks like it's particle board or whatever. And it was just shredded. Uh, I sent that to them and they took the grow cloth off and everything and made me a new one that's super sturdy. Um, so anyway, uh, the twin gets one of those speakers and the Bluto gets the other. So basically I've got a two amp rig that's got a really small footprint um, compared to when I was using the, base, using the basement cab, which is pretty substantial, and two heads. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty pretty good bit of umph for a relatively small footprint, I feel like. So, so I've, I've moved small, I've gone the opposite, although I'm playing totally different types of shows from you, but cause I like pushing my, I use the Princeton reverb so oh, yeah. that I can get it to break up a little bit. So are yeah. you actually pushing your amp to break up or using pedals? No. All right. So all my amps are such high watt, high wattage that, um, I've got them like cranked up. So I'll baffle amps off. So I'll take uh, pedal board lids that are, have foam on the inside. And I'll put one behind it to block the reflection up the wall and then one in front to keep from uh, neutering the people in the front row. Yeah. And uh, so at that point, I'll crank them up uh, to the point that they're, you know, if I can, uh, and still the reflection is still can get pretty loud. Um, but I'll crank those up to where they're, you know, pretty darn loud. Um, and then, uh, you know, I get all my gain off the floor and... I kind of like it that way. Um, if I'm using the Marshall, um, if I'm playing something with humbuckers, uh, it'll break up. It's loud enough to break up a little bit. Um, but that's also why I use uh, the high wattage speakers is if I'm getting breakup, I want to know it's either coming from the floor, maybe the amp. I don't need that third thing in there that might also possibly be distorting. So I find it just cleans things up a little bit for me. Um, but yeah, so they're loud, but they're not breaking up, generally speaking. Huh. Yeah, there's, I mean, I like when I'm practicing, I'm using complete 100% pedal distortion. Yeah. But when I play, as soon as I get to play outside, like the mixture of the two, I don't, I don't particularly love the sound of, if I'm playing lead guitar, I don't, I'm not looking for like a 50s blues breakup, mm -hmm. but the combination of a pedal with a little, with the, yeah, natural amp breakup is my favorite. It's very like it's this soaring sound that I get out of my amp. I, you know, I think uh, that for me that would work better. Um, I feel like a lot of amps when you start to overdrive them, they get a little splatty. Um, you know, and kind of I don't know. I I feel like a pedal will help kind of compress it a little bit and tighten it up and and keep it from just kind of falling apart a little too much. Um, but that's staying like their own way of, of doing stuff, which is the coolest thing about, especially now in the gear revolution. Gosh, when I was coming up, there was none of this stuff. Like if you wanted this, a distortion pedal, you had, there was like one option, you know, it's like, you didn't have to worry about that. It was just finding one. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like now where you've got to research for like five months. It's like going down the cereal aisle at the grocery store. You're like, what? Yeah. You know? Um, it's hard to like you go to guitar center you can only try so many before the guys get a little really you know, if you go i mean there's so many mm -hmm. oh. just, you can't try them all and heaven forbid you get to get, get online and start looking at you know the inventory of places like uh, uh music toys or something like that where it's just you know pages and pages of you know just overdrive pedals not even distortion just like overdrive but um my the stuff that I use has pretty much been the same for a embarrassingly long time. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of frightening. I really probably should get somebody to overhaul uh, everything that I've got going on. But yeah, I've since I started, I've always used uh, pedals for distortion, just because it's just kind of what worked for me. And I, uh, I was doing a little more looping back then so if you're running a loop into a distorted amp it really doesn't work uh, oh, yeah um so keeping the uh the gain before that uh was also another 
another reason I did that, I think. I can't remember. It's hard to remember what my brain was doing back then. Why the, why the obsession with large pedals? Man, uh, the ones that I got just sounded better. Uh, okay. Do you remember the Susan Kettner pedals? Yeah, uh, oh yeah. Like, I love uh, the original Rotosphere. I've got one of those. And they had this thing called the Reflex, um, which I'll, I'll walk you guys over there again, which I've used for ever. And I've probably had about eight or ten of them. Um, so the let's see. Can you see the big silver guys that have tape all over them? <laughs> uh -huh. Right there. So those guys, uh, I used the the reflexes there. It was like a dual head tape thing. Maybe a, supposed to be a tape simulator or something like that, but okay. like a micro thing. And so I was telling you that I turned the amps up pretty loud. Um, I've never really changed the volume on the amps. They're always cranked. But for the room, I actually use that pedal as a preamp for the whole rig. Okay. So it has on off the second channel's reverb. So I have the reverb turned all the way off, mm. but I use that to engage the pedal. And then the preamp of the pedal is in line. So I can use that if, if I'm too loud for a room, uh, I'll pull it down there. So I just won't hit the amps on the front end quite as hard as I would like to. Um, but it's a good way to keep the amps kind of cooking and just pull down my overall volume. Right. Um, but yeah, so those things are huge. Um, down, I was down in Virginia Beach uh, ages ago, and I bought this uh, Buddha overdrive pedal that's you know the size of like a Star Wars lunchbox. Yeah. Um, and it's got two 12AX7s, and I still use that, and that's mm -hmm. huge. Um, I've got another one of those Origin uh, compressors on there, and that's huge. So those four pedals, I think, are probably bigger than most people's pedal boards altogether. Um, and do you have to carry, do the other guys help you carry this or? <laughs> oh yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, we all, we all load the rig and unload it, you know, as a group. So, I mean, it's a good workout. It's like a group fitness plan. You just get heavier oh. stuff and everybody stays fit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, if I'm, if I'm stuck in merch or something like that, the guy, some of the guys will start to pack up my stuff, but normally I try to pack and, and I definitely unpack and set up everything. Um, which takes a minute. It's a, uh, a fair amount of stuff <laughs> rolling on, but but yeah, I, it's uh, uh, I tried to streamline it down to a smaller board, but I guess maybe we have seventeen albums, and you know there's certain there are a couple of pedals on there that if we do like a handful of songs, I kind of need that one thing. Do I have to have it? No. Do does it make the song kind of better and more like it? you know, people want to hear it probably. Yeah. I think it was around 2009 or 2010. I tried to do a tour with just like mostly all electric guitar and I had a ball. It was so nice. You were talking about switching uh, between songs. It was so, man, I was just like, ah, oh, awesome. Man. <laughs> ah, I'm so comfortable. Like three songs in, you're just like, oh yeah. Oh, I can, oh, electric guitar, man. This is a lot of fun, but it was, I don't think, uh, I think, People kind of like to see the, um, the, you know, the circus monkey running around and playing all the different stuff, you know, and it, it you know, creates a, a certain vibe and it's fun. Uh, like we'll show up in a theater or like a seated theater and uh, I'll play different instruments on every tune than I would at say a standing rock show, but it's nice to have those options. So, you know, we'll go over uh, the set list uh, in venues like that. I'll go over with Barry and I'll say, you know, why don't, you know, mandolin on these three, maybe banjo here, uh, you know, steel here, uh, let's do this on whatever. And um, it, you know, it changes, it changes up the, the dynamics of the songs and, you know, you might find a better way to play a tune that you hadn't had before or something that'll help connect uh, right. with people that, that wouldn't have, you know, if you're just like slamming it out on electric, which is lots of fun. It definitely helped keep the. It made every every song. It kept songs from running together. Sometimes with bands, even when you like them, if it's the same overall sound, you start to kind of well, you kind of zone in and out. Yeah, your ears can get kind of numb from that same, you know, that same thing, and it, I feel like uh, things become a little more indistinct. Mm -hmm. uh, turns into this wall. Um, but yeah, I, it's. 
it certainly separates uh, sometimes probably a little too dramatically uh, some of the songs from, from each other. Um, but yeah, that's certainly jumping from, you know, all the different scale lengths to fretless to, you know, whatever it is, pretty nerve wracking. <laughs> um, you know, like all the lights in your face, you can't quite hear every, every instrument that you pick up, you're not going to be able to hear it like you heard the last one. So you've got to immediately like try to focus in on it in your head and figure out where it is in the mix so you can distinguish yourself and find, you know, what you're doing. And, um, you know, it keeps you, it, it really keeps you on your toes. And then, you know, I've got to sing, you know, playing, playing like double stops on a fiddle and singing at the same time is not sweet. <laughs> if when you're not like a fiddle player, it's when you're a guitar player that has, that owns a fiddle, it's, uh, it's a little nerve wracking. <laughs> I find it hard. Even I've been doing these acoustic sets in the middle of my overall electric set. Yeah. Yeah, and it's even just switching, having a a wider nut on my acoustic. I mean, everything. I just feel clumsy. I usually try to put something a little easier as my first acoustic song. Yeah, I can get my fingers used to that scale length and that just different feel. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. God, I wish that. Uh, whenever I think, whenever I tell Barry, I'm like, you know, could we not do that right there? He's like, that's like a challenge of him he's like oh yeah you can do it I'm like <laughs> well yes technically i can do it do I, do I, is, is that the best thing we should do yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah might, might have to go out on an, an acoustic tour or something <laughs> a very minimal, minimal yeah. minimalistic <laughs> yeah oh god it would be so uh a, a boy can dream uh yeah, just go play mandolin um, <laughs> but yeah i you know it's you know, figuring out how to do it over the years. You know, I used to have like a different, you know, we were talking about just the differences in like pick, like the different picks that I'll use for different instruments. The way you hold them is different. The way you attack the instruments are different. Um, it's, yeah, it's just getting used to switching. Like right before we go out on a big tour, say in the fall, uh, I'll start, you know, practice for that will be just me going around the room and playing, you know, picking something up and just playing on it for a minute, then switching to something and, you know, playing, you know, playing a couple of tunes on it or whatever, but getting used to just switching, you know, haphazardly and trying to instantly make, you know, some sort of palatable, palatable noise. Um, but it's yeah, really I, smart I, way to do it. different picks for like almost everything. And I've gotten to the point now that I've streamlined it down and I uh, like, you know, I'll just use two different things and hopefully I won't drop one because I have like one of each, you know, yeah. I'll sit around like and nerd and like sand the burrs off the picks and stuff like that. But when I lose a pick, it's like, oh, <laughs> I got, I oh. like my picks so much. I, I got a hundred pack of my Dunlop, uh, the Ultex 90.90 millimeter. I like, I have to have that pick. I, Feel clumsy with anything. What shape? It's like the pointy. It's it's this. Can you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The standard Fender, I would call that. Yeah, but it's a Dunlop Ultex oh, yeah. Sharp point nine. But I use a point seven three for my acoustic. Yeah. See, here's a Dunlop Ultex ah. pick. And let's see what else. Something. Let's see what's looking around the the old desk here. I know there's another one of those around here somewhere. I saw just yesterday. Yeah, I switched uh, out to the little jazz threes years ago. Oh, okay. yeah, I've yeah, seen those. But uh, yeah, I, I got one right. Oops, <laughs> sharing their picks. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they're right there. Don't pick on me. Oh yeah, um, use. I like yours, Aaron. Those are pretty similar to my old text. Yeah, what was my, that, Aaron? I've got the Clayton. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. The same like light yellow. Yeah. yeah. That's material that yeah. is like it disappears instantly the second it hits the ground Let no matter what surface it's on one up you i use these clear picks for electric oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly you're like oh, that that guy that was malicious when you go clear you know it's like yeah can't you make it like bright orange you did that on purpose neon but uh yeah. i think it should have a little flashing neon light on it well led inside LED. that would be great <laughs> dunlop please 
I know, if you're listening. Uh, yeah, so I switched to these. Yeah, now I found he did something that are green. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, Unless you're playing on grass. Nuts is, so he's got this shape that I like, but the uh, thickness varies uh, dramatically. So, uh, oh, here's a Clayton. There you go. Yeah. I've got, uh, oh, hey, the only time I ever got picks made, uh, I got these uh, Clayton purple doobers uh, that say carbon leaf on them. Because they were like, well, do you want something on them? I was like, no. They're like, are you sure? I was like, okay, I guess. You can put the band name on there. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, the guy, you have to specify, and you can only give him a range. You know, it's like I still got a bunch of different thicknesses. I'm like, I just want the one, <laughs> you know, yeah. then I have to go through, you know, I'll order like 20 or 30 and you go through and find the ones that are thick enough and throw the others in the pile and take the ones that, that work. But, yeah. It's like my thumb picks. I have to, they only, some of them make your thumb like turn, it goes numb because it's so tight and others fall off the second you kind of hit something a little weird. I love the ones that are too loose because occasionally you'll catch a string under the side right there. And yeah. Bonk. <laughs> Pull the it off. Loudest sound ever, man. It's unreasonable. It's oh. terrible. Oh, I'm trying to play a nice, nice, pretty, like you know, mellow passage. You're like, ah, bonk. Oh <laughs> lord. I guess that's what a compressor is for. So much louder than everything else. Oh man, clams will always be the loudest. But yeah. Picks, man, they're they're fun. I used oh. the big burrito shaped uh, guys for oh. acoustic. Yeah, I know, man. It's you know, and miraculously, you can lose those too. Yeah, you know, it's like man, that thing's the size of a, like a waffle. Where yeah. did it go? For me, it all it always comes down to the the texture of the of the pick. It has to have just a tiny bit of grit to it. Man, it's funny because when I, anything like that that makes sense on that side, it, I never like the way they sound. But yeah. if it's impossible to hold on to or invisible then i totally love the way it sounds <laughs> i mean i will sit sit around with with these guys and like a thousand grit wet dry paper and just keep like keep at it until i get the edges to the point that they sound good because mandolins can sound so bad yeah uh you know just so bright and tinny you know and you don't there's you can't really mod a mandolin to sound better you know it's like get take your sandpaper to it and start sanding the top off or something like yeah. that. What are you going to do? There's nothing. Uh, I've, I've actually taken on my old Leatherman knife. I, I had like a saw option oh. on it and I would actually cross hatch the uh, part where my th your thumb holds onto the pick mm -hmm. that helped for a while. Now I just, I've adjusted. I don't lose the pick as much. Yeah. I just gave up. I tend to just clumsily drop the pick when I'm not playing is my problem. Usually, if I drop it, I'm going to drop it in the sound hole of any given instrument. So I know right. can come back and get it later. Until then, it's like a maraca and a guitar. It's not have to jump around a lot. But yeah, man, uh, picks are funny. And my fun. kid students always drop their picks in the guitar. It, you know, You're like, you shouldn't hold the pick in the strings like that. You're going to drop it. You're going to drop it. Oh, there it goes. That's the Man, it seems the way people like people's pick hold, you can tell naturally, like, you know, this is either going to work for this kid or not. You know, and then there's the people that's holding, you know, well, that's not going <laughs> yeah. to work like that. You know, got the, the, the pincer. It's like when you try to pick up a spy, a granddaddy long, long legs and you yeah. don't really want to touch it. Yeah. You're like, oh, or like a really gross, you know, something from the trash that the dog pulled out. <laughs> by the tail. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, did you uh, did you have any other electric guitar rig questions or guitar electric guitar in general? As I'm looking across to the field of dreams. Well, in terms of like electric guitars, what what are your uh, what are your babies? What 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 do you play? Um, and what would be your favorite? Oh, yeah, right. Like there's an even answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell you, uh, it's easy to. It's just it's a clump of guitars that are my favorite. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, I was, I, man, I'm trying to remember, I wasn't really, like, went through a big thing where when I was uh, really getting into mandolin and stuff, I wouldn't play, I'd play electric guitar one song a night. Uh, the the set was such that, you know, it was all acoustic guitar and mandolin. And uh, around the time we started touring with uh, Blues Traveler or somebody like that, I started, 
I was like, all right, I got to get this electric thing figured out because, you know, and especially when we had this song called What About Everything that uh, people were really digging. And it was something I wrote on mandolin. And, you know, you're playing this very pretty little mandolin on this tune that's got, all, you know, it's kind of a rock tune. And, you know, you're trying to convey, you know, to a big room full of people, like the arc of a rock song with a mandolin. You know, and you're like, all right, this isn't working. So I started switching some of those things stubbornly over to electric. And uh, that's when I started really tinkering with uh, what I wanted the electric guitar to sound like. Um, so anyway, long story longer. Um, I was, uh, you know, I just kept getting different Fender guitars and I wasn't digging them. So I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my own vintage guitars. So I got a bunch of old uh, bodies and necks and started putting together uh i have like 250 strats and i had uh like my one pawn shop awesome prize is i have a 65 telly that uh i bought for like 400 dollars. <laughs> that's my one every every other good story i have like that ended in you know dismay um but anyway so i i built those guitars and they were pretty good and i was using those and then uh, a buddy of mine from Nashville, or that's in Nashville, told me I should get in touch with this guy named Bill Callahan, uh, who's up in Winchester, Virginia, because uh, there were some parts I needed and some other stuff. And he was playing uh, a Strat that uh, Bill had built. And so I went up there, and uh, my my telly, this is another thing that sent me up there, has this teeny little neck on it. So we show up to gigs, and, you know, if it's too humid or it's, you know, too dry, the neck would just be like, mm -hmm. oh. So the action would like vary so much uh, on that guitar uh, that it was just, you know, I was starting to get kind of frustrated. So I got him to build me a pair of tellies and he built me uh, a rosewood and a maple telling. And when I got those, I liked them so much. I got him to do a pair of strats for me and I sold all the vintage stuff except for the, the old telly. Um, and I've been using those ever since. So um, those are my favorites. And depending on my mood, because I've got the whole, like, the Fender Cannon, a maple and a rosewood Strat and a maple and a rosewood Tele. Um, I just, those are typically what I'll, I'll gravitate towards uh, at any given point. Um, but he's a... not making guitars anymore, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, isn't that always the way? You know, and I, I get on him all the time. But he makes uh, hardware. So if you wanted a steel bridge uh, or anything for your Strats, or, um, you know, a bridge plate for your telly. Um, like, so he machines these, the saddles, these big, awesome burled knobs, which are great if you like to do this kind of stuff with uh, telly stuff. Um, these plates, the steel neck plates, all of it. It's So a lot of the times they're using, like, zinc or pop metal. So it's really soft. Start replacing that stuff with steel, and you get, like, the whole instrumental transfer sound like way better. But yeah, so those are probably my favorites. And he does, uh, he does Gibson bridges um, and tail pieces too. I've got one of his bridges on my Gretsch. I guess on both of my Gretsches and all the Gibsons have uh, his bridge and tail piece and stuff like that. On. Of all the instruments, if you had them all laid out in front of you in terms of everything, what would you gravitate towards the most? Electric? Um, Mandolin. Mandolin. Yeah. Okay. So that's where your heart is. Yeah. I, I don't know how it ended up that way. Um, but, but yeah, if I'm going to, if I'm just going to walk around the house and play something, it'll nine times out of 10, it'll be, it'll be mandolin. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I wish I played guitar more. Uh, yeah. Or wheel and amp around. I've got a, a, an acoustic <laughs> flathead that I really love. I've got some acoustics that I really love. Um, but yeah, I typically will just uh, kind of walk around and and play mandolin. Uh, I'm looking around to see what else I might have that you guys would like. Um, it seems like as a you know, there are so many guitarists out there. You really are. It's almost smarter to go with the instrument that's less. If you want to stand out, it's just easier. If you're a mandolin player, or if you're a slide guitarist, or just something out of the ordinary from your average. Even if you're really good at the guitar, there's so many people it's, who are really good at it. I, it's not, uh, it's, uh, I wouldn't say that um, 
unmotivated by anything like that um, because fortunately I'm still in my first band. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> 25 years later. <laughs> um, so I, all I have, and that's the great thing is I just have to be me. Yeah. You know? um, so I don't, I don't have to, you know, fight for the gig. I don't have to compete with anybody. I just get to be me. Yeah. And uh, so there's, I guess there's a kind of a, uh, you know, it's kind of comfort, comforting, and I, and the guys encourage me to do that. You know, I uh, write accordingly. I get to kind of go off on whatever tangent uh, I find inspiring. And once again, that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we're going to leave it for today. Join us next Thursday for part two with Carter Gravit of the band Carbon Leaf. First off, I want to thank you our listener. It really does mean a lot to both Joe and I. I'm so overjoyed that you enjoy our content. We work really hard every week on this stuff, and I really, really, really enjoy what's going on. (laughs) Um, If you haven't already, head on over to YouTube. We need about 15 more to get 100 subscribers. Also, in addition, if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and give us a review. It helps us out tremendously. Uh, If you don't know already, uh, Apple is getting rid of the brand iTunes and moving everything over to Apple Podcasts and Apple Music and whatnot like that. So, uh, But yeah, anyway, if you could go over there and give us a review, it helps us out a lot. And if you want to further support Fret Buzz the Podcast, head on over to Fret Buzz the Podcast Patreon page and check out the tiers there and become part of the Fret Buzz the Podcast family. Your support will help fund Fret Buzz the Podcast with all the hosting fees and media fees and whatnot like that. So yeah, if you do choose to support Fret Buzz the Podcast, thank you very, very much. If you have questions about any of the past episodes or maybe questions for some future guests or just questions in general, um, send them my way at Aaron at fretbuzzthepodcast.com. We definitely want to get our listeners involved. Joe and I both really enjoy that back and forth conversation. Uh, So yeah, send them our way. We love to get them. You know, it's, it's a privilege and an honor to talk to all of our guests Um, to hear their stories and to hear their insights and to hear where they've come from, um, for them to share their knowledge with us. It's a great honor. And um, I hope that we're answering some questions that you guys may have and that you're pulling some good information from these episodes. So yeah, overall, just thank you once again for joining us on this this journey. It means so much to us uh, and we're going to wonderful places in the future so yes thank you thank you thank you other than that that takes care of everything remember any questions send them to aaron at fretbuzzthepodcast.com and with that join us next thursday for part two with carter gravit of the band carbon leaf on fret buzz the podcast